I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Financial Times Big Read, a weekly podcast featuring the best of our long-form reporting from around the world. I'm Caroline Grady from the Opinion and Analysis Desk. Wells Fargo has lurched from one scandal to another and its valuation is no longer at a premium to other banks. The scandals have raised unsettling questions, say Robert Armstrong and Laura Noonan, but many customers stayed loyal to the bank. Its financial performance has improved, but a $2 trillion cap on assets is still holding it back. This report is narrated by Robert Armstrong. Tim Sloan thinks that Wells Fargo is the best bank in the world. After more than two years as chief executive of the scandal-riven lender, he is quick to provide evidence, deposit growth, loan growth, returns, to show that while the bank has been wounded by controversy, it is now returning to its feet. The view from outside the group, however, is very different. In interviews with the Financial Times, dozens of investors, academics, competitors, and employees describe a damaged brand, a workforce held back by fear of repeating past mistakes, and the immense difficulty of drawing a line under one of the ugliest banking scandals in an era full of them. A cutthroat sales culture in the retail division where perverse incentives led employees to open millions of false accounts and missell other products was ignored or brushed aside by the board and senior management until the story went public in 2016. Wells' first response when the problems emerged was mass firings of lower-level employees. More than 5,000 were forced out. Only after this bad apple theory failed to convince regulators, politicians, or the public was there a board overhaul, the replacement of most senior leaders, and an effort to rewire the bank's culture. Other instances of bad behavior continue to come to light at Wells, and the bank remains under tighter regulatory scrutiny than any other U.S. lender in recent memory. Prominent politicians have said that Mr. Sloan, who led Wells' wholesale banking operation while the mis-selling was taking place, is not fit to lead the bank. Mr. Sloan takes all this in his stride, consistent with what a colleague calls his unflappable, down-to-earth, Midwestern style. He says... When any politician is running for office, they're trying to win. And when they do that, they will either mention us or not mention us to the extent that it's beneficial to their election. We understand that. That's their business. His composure is drawn, in part, from the bank's performance, which has been remarkably steady, given the enormity of the scandal. The bank's valuation, while no longer at a premium, is on par with other big American banks, and some early signs of growth are visible. But Wells considers itself more than just another bank. It was on top of the industry in returns, valuation, and reputation. The question is whether it can reach those heights again. And there, Mr. Sloan faces a very skeptical audience. Dave Ellison, portfolio manager of the Hennessy Large Cap Financial Fund, an investor in financials for 30 years, says, With these type of stories, the companies never get their premiums back. People have other places to go, 
Now Wells is just another big Me Too bank. Perry Pilos, Wells' head of wholesale banking, describes the old Wells Fargo as a company that prided itself on decentralized decision-making. That's good for certain things, but it's not good for other things. The problem is that we did that for everything. The description may understate some of the problems the bank has faced. An entrepreneurial culture in which business units and managers were left to take decisions and pursue growth in response to local conditions extended to controls and compliance. A strong culture of credit risk management was matched by precious little culture of operational risk management. The scandal raised an unsettling question. What if the management structure responsible for Wells' past success was ultimately unsustainable? By reputation, the bank had been better at assessing credit risk and had a stronger deposit-taking franchise than any other lender. It was one of the big four holdings at Berkshire Hathaway, along with American Express, Coca-Cola, and IBM, and Warren Buffett had praised its brilliant, outstanding management. In early 2016, Wells shares traded at two times their tangible book value, while Bank of America and J.P. Morgan traded between one and one and a half times book. Now Wells has traded down to Bank of America's level, and J.P. Morgan has risen to become the only big U.S. bank to trade at twice book. Gerard Cassidy, a banks analyst at RBC, thinks that Wells' radically decentralized structure, which led to the scandal, was also one of the reasons for the history of strong financial results. He says, I don't see the premium valuation coming back because of the way they do business now. They have put in processes that are an obstacle to that premium profitability. Underwriting decisions were not centralized, a unique system that helped generate the extra returns. As the bank works to come in line with industry standards for controls and compliance, one employee describes a sense we're stagnating. No real leaders have emerged to pull us out of wallowing in internal consensus seeking. They sit on every problem and give us the same pep rally happy talk, the employee says. Rivals say that Wells, chastened by its past mistakes, has become scared of its own shadow. Even Mary Mack, who runs Wells' massive consumer bank, says staff are still more cautious than you'd want them to be. Those closer to Wells, including 10 senior executives who spoke with the FT, argued that the bank's core strengths in credit creation and deposit-taking remain. Mr. Sloan points out that primary checking accounts, a key yardstick for what retail customers think of the bank, are increasing at a rate of nearly 2%, recovering from zero growth immediately after the scandal broke, but still less than the 5% in the two years before it. When Wells reports fourth quarter earnings this week, investors will hope to see the momentum continue. While loan growth hovered around zero after the scandals broke, it never tipped into negative territory. Mrs. Mack says, existing customers stuck with us. Customer retention is at a multi-year high. It was with prospective customers choosing between us and another bank that we got hurt. Mr. Pilos, the head of wholesale banking, agrees. He says, I've been in some awkward conversations, but by and large, our customers have stuck with us. They know their banker. Our results have been okay because of that. New customers have been harder to convince. He suspects the scandals have made corporate clients cautious, thinking to themselves, I'd hate to be the CFO that recommended Wells to my board, and then something else happens. Financial services is a sticky business. Customer relationships, once won, are hard to lose. Whether resilience of Wells' franchise is down to this inertia or to the unique characteristics of the company, its long history in small and mid-sized American communities, is open to debate. 
Wells' business proved sticky in another sense. Following the scandals, there was no exodus of executives. Several headhunters specializing in banks professed surprise at the low level of turnover at the top of the bank. One senior executive at Wells says on his decision to stay, I've been heavily recruited for other jobs. The opportunities are great for people here. Wells' key challenge, then, is winning with new customers. But that means getting back to selling when an out-of-control sales culture is exactly what got the bank in trouble. The bank's leaders are acutely aware of the balancing act. John Shrewsbury, chief financial officer, says employees have really adopted more of a compliance mindset and a customer experience mindset rather than a convert customers and expand the business mindset because that was near the center of what created problems. Wells has another reason for optimism. Rupert Younger, who leads the Oxford Center for Corporate Reputation, argues that customers are much faster to forgive scandals of character, like Wells, than scandals of competence. He says Wells will bounce back. In two or three years, they will be fine. Wells is arguably receiving closer scrutiny and tighter regulation on a sustained basis than any American bank ever has. As it overhauls its governance and compliance regimes, it is operating under two consent orders, one from the Federal Reserve Board and one issued jointly by the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau and the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency. The Federal Reserve has capped the bank's balance sheet at $2 trillion until it is satisfied that adequate controls are in place. One lawyer specializing in financial regulation says this amounts to an open-ended policy experiment. Executives at the company acknowledge that they are aiming at a moving target, as regulators will only know what is good enough when they see it. Asked if the bank was on the same page as the regulators, Mr. Pilos says that, in an outline in a classical sense, for the big Roman numerals, we absolutely are. But for the details, there is no checklist. No playbook for this. The sense that there is no clear endgame has been compounded by a steady flow of news reflecting regulators' continued dissatisfaction with Wells. Most worryingly, in October, the bank placed its chief administrative officer and chief auditor on leave, reportedly after the OCC sent each of them letters informing them that it would pursue sanctions against them. A former federal bank supervisor told the FT that such letters sent after regulatory intervention has been proceeding for years suggested that regulators were still discovering problems, not just fixing them. With the campaign for the 2020 election already starting, Wells Fargo will figure in the partisan conflict over President Donald Trump's deregulatory agenda. Maxine Waters The Democrat, who has just become head of the House of Representatives Financial Services Committee, said last year that something is terribly wrong at Wells. In October, Elizabeth Warren, the likely presidential candidate who sits on the Senate Banking Committee, said the Fed should not remove Wells' asset cap until Mr. Sloan, who she says is deeply implicated in the bank scandals, is removed. If the company cannot get the asset cap removed in the first half of this year, as it has promised investors, the pressure to remove Mr. Sloan will become intense. The Fed refused to comment on any of its dealings with Wells. One analyst asks, who is qualified? Who wants the job? Listing potential candidates, including former U.S. Bancorp boss Richard Davis, PNC chief Bill Demchak, 
J.P. Morgan retail banking boss Gordon Smith, and former Goldman Sachs chief operating officer Gary Cohn. The analyst says all have no interest. Reports suggesting that Mr. Cohn has already declined an approach are strenuously denied by the company. Mr. Sloan says it didn't happen, yet the bank's leadership knows it is at the center of a political battle. Mr. Pilo says got treated worse than companies who have killed people because it's good political fodder. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this Big Read podcast, you can subscribe on all the usual channels. If you're not already an FT subscriber, visit ft.com forward slash offer for our latest subscription offers. This episode was produced by Caroline Grady. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.